0: Hi, this is the brief for Martin Luther King Jr. Brief one, his birth through his education. In the word in Isaiah 1 and 17, we read this. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Isaiah, the first chapter in the 17th verse. Isaiah was one who saw the Lord. And when the Lord looked for someone who would take up his cause and bring his word to his people, it was Isaiah who was in heaven watching God, seeing God. And The Lord said, who will go for us? It was Isaiah who said, here am I, send me. And it was Isaiah who, after warning Israel about their need to really promulgate social justice, to take care of the fatherless, to take care of the widow, the orphan. The least of these, taking care of them, being fair in all your dealings. This is how God defines social justice. And Isaiah was a big proponent of it, as were most all the prophets, beginning in Exodus. But what did he get for it? Ultimately, in the end, Jewish tradition says that Isaiah was sawn asunder. And so it is with Martin Luther King Jr. He took on the cause of the least of these, and at the end of his life, his life was taken from him by the shot of an assassin. But let's start with his birth and our early childhood. He was born in January the 15th, 1929. His name originally was Michael King, as was his father. So he was Michael King Jr. until he was five years old, at which time his father had his name changed and his as well on his birth certificate to Martin Luther King Jr. His dad set a powerful example. He was the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, a church which he had taken from a membership of around 600 and grown to several thousand. And Martin Luther King skips the ninth grade and the 11th grade and graduates high school at the age of 15. He attends Morehouse College, gets a degree in sociology. He reads Thoreau and he becomes a, a voracious reader. He goes on to Crozer Theological Seminary and to Boston College, where he gets his Ph.D. at the age of 25. He also meets Coretta King while he's there, who would become Coretta King. She's a beautiful woman. She plays the piano. She has a great personality. And King, he falls for her. And she's not his first love. There was a woman he fell in love with prior to her. Uh, actually, it was... Um, anyway, but he was advised by his friends that that wouldn't work out. And so he had dropped that lady, but Coretta had met all of his criteria, checked all of his boxes. And indeed, she did become his wife. Brief two, Montgomery bus boycott. On a one day after working all day, Rosa Parks sat down on the bus and when asked to give up her seat, so that a white lady could sit down, she refused to do it. Now, many say that she did it because she was tired that day, but she said that what she was was tired of being disrespected. She wasn't tired physically, and she'd actually trained for over a year as a civil rights um, activist. So she was ready to really take a stand for this. Now, what was decided was that the black citizens of Montgomery, Alabama, would boycott the buses. And so they did. Not a single black rider could be found on the buses after they decided to, to boycott it. And Martin Luther King Jr. came there and got this boycott started. It actually lasted a year. And there were actually two tracks to it. There was a legal side that the NAACP was strongly involved in. And then there was the protest and the boycott. Um, as well as a business stoppage. And what they did was they used carpools and and black cab drivers to substitute for the bus so that the black workers in the town could get to and from their jobs. Now, after a year of this, the city was really quite angered, and they got indictments of 115 of the leaders of of this boycott, including King. And there was a ton of expense for this, for legal expenses to get folks out of jail and everything. And they would probably be out of dollars if they continued the boycott after a year or so. And what the city was pursuing was an injunction against this carpooling. And that would have killed the boycott as there wouldn't have been any way for the folks to get where they needed to go. But what happened was, and Martin Luther King was getting telephone threats telling him he had three days to leave or else he would be killed. And as a minister, he'd not really felt a call to God to this point. He'd actually inherited his ministerial position from his father, who, as we mentioned, was lead pastor at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. But when he admitted he couldn't do it that night at this time when he was under a great deal of pressure and everything was about to fall apart with the Montgomery bus boycott because... They were about to shut it down from a legal standpoint. And what he heard was he heard the Holy Spirit speak to him. And the Holy Spirit said, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. And that was what he needed. He was ready from that point to forge on. Four days later, a bomb blew up on his front porch while he was meeting at Abernathy's church. And a riot broke out with 300 blacks that were ready to attack the white police officers. But King actually told the folks, we must meet hate with love. We must love our white brothers no matter what. Love them and let you know you love them. He told him and he actually saved uh, a lot of those police officers said um, some of them said he saved their lives. Now, as it turns out, when they were trying to get it dedicated, uh, actually stopped, the Supreme Court of the United States came through with a surprise ruling much earlier than people expected. And they declared that bus segregation was unconstitutional. And so at this point, the fight was over. Bus segregation was ended. And Martin Luther King Jr. takes the first ride on the buses post-boycott. Now, two nights post the ruling, a shotgun was shot in the King's front door. Buses were shot at by rifles. A bomb blew up the house of a white minister who had supported the boycott. A bomb at Abernathy's home and four explosions at black churches, including Ralph Abernathy's church. Ralph Abernathy became a, a great partner of Dr. King's and, in fact, ran the organization Dr. King started after Dr. King's assassination. And at a subsequent meeting, holding the pulpit, Dr. King said, as he was preaching, if someone has to die, let it be me, King said to the Lord in front of the congregation. Brief three, Birmingham. In 1963, Birmingham was a bastion of racial prejudice. In fact, it was called Bombingham because bombs Bombings of black churches occurred so frequently. Bombings of black citizens occurred so frequently. And in fact, one of King's aides, uh, the Reverend Shuttlesworth, his parsonage was bombed. Bull Connor was the public safety commissioner and had the responsibility to head the fire and police department. Now, the movement was all about publicizing injustice so that the news media would pick it up catch the attention of Congress, legislators, and the like. And attention would be drawn to it that would make force change. That's what the movement was really all about. Now, it was positioned as a struggle between good and evil. And in this particular case, Bull Connor sick dogs on the the marchers. They were doing nonviolent marches. Um, The police beat children with nightsticks And one of King's assistants, a guy by the name of Mr. Bevel, came up with the idea of a march from Selma to Montgomery. And basically what he said was, this is the same as what Esther had to do with the king. They had to go and speak truth to the power, speak truth to the king. And in Alabama, that was George Wallace, the governor of the state. So uh, as part of this, the initial... March that they did, they went down to the Edmund Pettus Bridge, which has become quite famous. Uh, and they had, they turned around due to an agreement that they had on Tuesday. It's called Tuesday Turnaround a lot. And Martin Luther King Jr. caught a lot of criticism for this, but um, they went back and they after enduring all this and after all this being publicized, the dogs, the beatings by Bull Connor's uh, police force and deputized citizens that he had under his control, president Johnson uh, looked at this and said, it's up to all of us to overcome the crippling legacy of bigotry and injustice. And he said, and we shall overcome. And so at that point he introduced the voting rights act in 1963 and King actually cried. So their final March on the Edmund Pettus bridge was actually a celebratory march where they, um, uh, You know, they walked and held hands together and they were unopposed and in fact had an escort of the National Guard that was provided by President Johnson. And what this legislation was to do was it was to eliminate literacy tests, uh, poll taxes and other barriers that prevented black people from voting, especially in the South. In 1963, King would also March on Washington. And so he gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. And to me, the most striking part of that speech was when he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And the reason it resonates with me so much is because it, it aligns with the Bible so well. When Samuel went to look at All the children of Jesse, all eight of them, they brought out the tallest, the oldest, the ones that they thought were the best looking. And at the end, they brought out the little one. They brought out David. And he said, Samuel said this, he said, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but at the heart. And so what Dr. King was saying very much aligns with Scripture. That God is one who looks at us based on our heart. God is no respecter of person, James tells us. Acts tells us that we are all made of one blood. So God doesn't see differences in people based on color. That was an invention, not of God's doing in the 1600s as part of the justification for slavery. Brief four. The 1968 Poor People's March. Now I also have to mention that In 1964, Dr. King was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. But in 1968, Dr. King had evolved to where he was tackling not only black issues, but issues related to the Vietnam War, which he felt was wrong. Also, to attacking issues of poverty, no matter the color of the people involved. And so he had something, they were going to do something called the Poor People's March on Washington. But before that, he... He wanted to help the Memphis garbage workers who were striking. So he went down to Memphis and he gave a speech on April the 3rd um, in 1968. And I'll just give you a little bit of it. And he said, but there was another letter that came from a little girl and he's talking about he was stabbed one time. Dr. King was by a crazed woman. She stabbed him very near to his heart. And this is what he's referring to. He said, but there was another letter that came from a little girl, a young girl who was a student at the White Plains High School. And this is a letter that he remembered. He received a lot of letters, he said, after that. But this was the one that he remembered. And I looked at that letter and I'll never forget it. It said simply, dear Dr. King, I am a ninth grade student at the White Plains High School. She said, while it should not matter, I would like to mention that I am a white girl. I read in the paper of your misfortune and of your suffering. And I read that if you had sneezed, you would have died. And I'm simply writing you to say that I'm so happy that you didn't sneeze. And I want to say tonight, I want to say that I'm happy that I didn't sneeze. Because if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1960, when students all over the South started sitting in at lunch counters. And I knew that as they were sitting in, they were really standing up for the best in the American dream. And taking the whole nation back to those great wells of democracy, which were dug deep by the Founding Fathers in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around in 1962 when Negroes in Albany, Georgia, decided to straighten their backs up. And whenever men and women straighten their backs up, they are going somewhere because a man can't ride your back unless it's bent. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been here in 1963, when the black people of Birmingham, Alabama, aroused the conscience of this nation and brought into being the Civil Rights Bill. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have had a chance later that year in August to try to tell America about a dream that I had had. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been down in Selma, Alabama, to see the great movement there. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been in Memphis to see a community rally around those brothers and sisters who are suffering. I'm so happy that I didn't sneeze. And they are telling me now, it doesn't matter now. It really doesn't matter what happens now. I left Atlanta this morning, and as we got started on the plane, there were six of us. The pilot said over the PA system, we are sorry for the delay, but we have Dr. Martin Luther King on the plane. And to be sure that all of the bags were checked, and be sure that nothing would be wrong with the plane, we had to check out everything carefully. And we've had the plane protected and guarded all night. And then I got into Memphis, and some began to say that threats, or talk about the threats that were out. What would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers? Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind, like anybody I would like to live a long life, Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And the next day. The morning of the next day, April the 4th of 1968, he was shot while standing out on the balcony of the motel that he was staying at. Brief five. Famous quotes. I want to give you an idea of some of the, the quotes that you may have heard before that actually come from Dr. King. There comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe nor nor politic, nor popular. But he must take it because his conscience tells him it is right. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. The quality, not the longevity of one's life, is what is important. I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. Life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? No one really knows why they are alive until they know what they die for. Brief 6. Key takeaways to further our walk with Christ. The first takeaway that I would say that I get as I looked at the life of Dr. King is that justice matters to God. Micah said, "He has shown you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly." with your god. Micah said that in the 6th chapter in the 8th verse. The second takeaway that I would say from the life of Dr. King I picked up that I think we can benefit from is that being a believer means being willing to die. And it was said like this by Jesus, if you cling to your life you will lose it, but if you give up your life for me you will find it. He said that in the 10th chapter of Matthew. And the third takeaway, I would say, is he who would be great, let them serve. In Mark, the ninth chapter, Jesus said this. Jesus called the twelve and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. May the Lord bless you. And may you take some of these lessons from the life of Dr. King and incorporate them into your walk with Jesus. Hi, thank you for listening to this brief. We have plenty more at ChristianBrief.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B-R-I-E-F.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and hope you check out some of the other briefs at ChristianBrief.com.